0: It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Powered by the Ingram Agency. You're listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio.
1: And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. I'm Kyle. Daniel and Matter here. Hello. Hey, guys. And joining us from PBR's Road to Nashville podcast, Michael Gallagher. What's up? So this is a very special mashup episode called Road to Gold. (laughs) Okay. It works. It works. It works. Kind of, you know, get some frills and get Justin to make us a custom logo for the episode. So, guys, what do you think about the Stanley Cup playoffs so far? We're in the finals blues and the Bruins you know uh,
2: I thought the uh, the uh, Bruins basically dominated game one Uh, I'm not gonna lie It, it looked like it was gonna be a quick series but then somehow the blues you know turn around in game two and and pull one out in OT how about you Matt
3: yeah, I was kind of wondering if the Bruins would come out a little rusted, had a little more time. It maybe was true in the first period, but after that, like you said, it was it was the Bruins show, and I honestly expect that to keep – I know uh, St. Louis ended up getting the winner in OT a game too, but I expect the Bruins to uh, pull this one out here. And it seems to be – honestly, it's going to be the Brad Marchand factor. He uh, When he scores in the playoffs, the Bruins are 24-1, and so he's the X factor going forward. Michael, have you watched it any?
4: Yes, it's it's conflicting for me. As a reporter that covers the Predators, it's it's hard to watch one of their division rivals go on to the Stanley Cup final and may potentially win it. But the New Yorker in me, born and raised up there for the first 15 years of my life, I was, I was bred to not like anything Boston. So I hope it goes seven and it goes to 17 overtimes in game seven. I don't care who wins as long as it's entertaining.
1: I've watched a little bit back and forth. Admittedly, not as much as I would have liked to considering that the Preds are not in it. You know, when your team is out, you don't kind of watch. You're kind of, well, kind of lip service almost. You watch the highlights here and there, and you're kind of like really just missing the fact that your team isn't in it. And it's been a long summer so far without having the Preds. Well, I didn't realize it, but today, so we're recording on May 31st. It's been exactly two years since the Preds' first Stanley Cup finals game.
2: Yeah, I mean, we were, we were all the way into June at this point. So, I mean, it was funny because the other day, actually, my father was like when's when's the preds coming back because like it's it's been a long time like he, he got used to all the games and all the playoff hockey and he honestly could care less at this point and you're, you're starting to see that around the league too uh, it's and it was funny because i saw a who you're rooting for map did did anyone see this map that was online and it was basically yeah, like was every Twitter, state yeah. besides like Except north for, north dakota yeah. and toronto was and rooting Tor- for toronto yeah um <laughs> <laughs> for um for Boston, which was funny because I think one comment was like, "Yeah, four people with internet in North Dakota actually voted for the Boston Bruins," but it seems like an overwhelming majority are really wanting the the Blues to pull this out against the big old bad
1: Boston Bruins. I do know one Canadian, and it's not my fiance; it's another Canadian I know by the way of her, who is a straight Boston fan. Like she, like if you were to look at the map of Canada, where her regional team should be, it should be the Hobbs. But she's like, nope, Hobbs suck. I'm going Boston all the way.
4: I also think it's a it's a byproduct of just how rude by nature their fans are. That like the Boston fans, not a lot of people like them. So it's you may not be a Blues fan, but I think there's a lot of people rooting for the Blues just because one. I mean, with with the Patriots and the Celtics, I mean Boston wins something at least one every two or three years. So I think people are tired of seeing the same people win it. The Blues haven't. Everyone to Stanley Cup before, and it's just kind of like Blackhawk fans. Like Boston fans, they're just mean. They can be jerks sometimes, and I think it's easier to root against people that are mean, and you look at Brad Marshawn. I mean, that guy, he's doing something stupid every other day. It's, <laughs> no one wants to see someone like that win. So.
1: I think that's just Marchand by his nature. He's just that type of person. Hold on, hold on, though. We got to get
2: to a – because Matt, literally in our group text message the other day, is talking about Marchand. and what did you say, Matt, in the group message –
3: Was it a reference to Thornton? Yes. There's speculation if Thornton retires or not. He said if he's going to play another year, it will only be in San Jose, but – Thornton is my favorite player, so I'm kind of preparing myself mentally. If he retires, who's my favorite player going to be? And I said it may very well be Brad Marchand because <laughs> Ooh. I I love that guy. That those antics, I just love those kinds of, of players. And uh, it's certainly a speculation to watch. Uh, and so that's that's the guy for me right now.
1: But the question is, would you let Brad Marchand lick you?
3: Uh, Kyle,
1: lick gate. <laughs> I mean, you you said that's your type of player. So would you let him do it to you?
3: No, no. I just I just like the guy who is a sandpaper on to the other. Guy guy so it's my kind of guy junkyard dog kind of kind of player pretty player
4: i mean by by that criteria shouldn't you like cody mcleod oh Ooh,
3: that's also he's true got- but uh one of the players is a good player and <laughs> one is
4: not
2: <laughs> hey cody has those intangibles okay i'm still cody trying has to find that one
4: game a year where he'll get you a goal he'll get you a fight and he'll end up winning the game for you somehow
1: yeah but see i don't think the preds are gonna bring cody mcleod back i like daniel we were talking before the show
4: he's a good locker room guy
1: maybe a good locker room guy <laughs> and he's got those intangibles, but I think they brought him back because his family's still here. Uh, yeah, I, I think that had to, do- let's
4: be honest. They brought him back cause they anticipated playing the Winnipeg Jets in the second round and that didn't happen. So he sat on the bench the whole time. Yeah. So
1: you're in the press row. So I have to ask you a question cause I've always wondered this when there are Preds people that, uh, well Preds players, I should say that are not playing. Where do they sit at? Do they sit close to you guys?
4: Yeah. Um, actually this is a really funny story. Um, Rem Pitlick didn't have a, um, a spot to sit in the first round, and there was an empty seat next to, um, I forget her first. Name. I want to say Tracy Meyer. She works for NHL.com. Um, there's an empty seat in between her and Jeremy Gover, and Rem Pitlick was where the press area is. We have our seats, and there's, like, fan seats in front of us. And over to the right, there's, like, another area that's just chairs in front of a bench, but it's also got, like, a black curtain you can pull back so you can isolate it. And that's usually where the the Black Aces sit. Um, but that was full, and Rem Pitlick was kind of standing there. And Gover looked over at him, he's like, is that Rem Pitlick? And, I, and Justin's like, I think so. And then Gover's like, hey, Rem, do you, you want to sit over here? And he's like, yeah. And he came and sat down next to Gover and just watched it. It was really it was really cool, and it was a funny story. But yeah, that's where they sit. Um, Sometimes usually you'll see them, they'll be nervous and they'll kind of pace back and forth and they'll stand, but that's usually their designated area over to kind of like the right of the press
1: box. Was Gover like excited or nervous to have rem sit next to him
4: no he was he was excited. he was like, you know it's not very often, you know I get to do something nice for for a player so and and rem was just kind of shocked that someone who he didn't even know was nice enough to offer him a seat and he was I think rem was more like can I, can I sit there or is that like a media member seat?" And he's like, no, no one's sitting here so it was pretty funny to watch, and he sat there the whole time, and I walked by, and I looked at him, and I was like, is that Rim Pitlick? I was like, no, he's not sitting up there with the media. And then Bradford, during intermission, told me about it. I was like, oh, that's pretty funny.
1: So with the talk of the Black Aces coming through, I noticed one thing that we might see some of these Black Aces get sent down from Milwaukee to the new uh, ECHL affiliate, which is, I believe, the Florida Everblades. Yes, the formidable
2: Florida Everglades team. Well,
1: it's uh, better than the, than the Norfolk Admirals. That was that
4: was a bad experiment.
2: Yeah. So uh, these are future future preds, aka future potential Milwaukee players that could potentially
1: eventually become NHL players.
4: The ECHL is the league that Jonathan Diaby wasn't even good enough to stick around, in, if that tells you anything.
1: Yeah, because those players they don't make they make like pocket change.
4: They they make a a little bit more than I mean they live comfortably for minor league hockey players. I will say when I was in Ohio a couple of times I went to. Um, what are the teams out there? The uh, Toledo Walleye yeah. and the uh, Fort Wayne Comets, they're both ECHL teams. And they put on some pretty entertaining, pretty entertaining games. And they played each other, actually, ironically, they played each other in the playoffs. And they had a really good physical series. So a lot of people make fun of the ECHL. But it's actually a really good hockey league for being you know, the second-tier minor league system.
2: Were there are a lot of fights?
4: There were actually.
2: See, yeah, this is where you go to the yeah you you go to the fight and hope a hockey game breaks up.
4: The the Comets' best player, I think, I forget what his name is, but he, I think, at one point in the season, he had more more fights than points. It was like, and when he went on the ice, everyone knew he was going to go for a player and start a fight. It was it was great.
1: I think when I look at the ECHL, the one thing sticks out to me is their are blue. Like
4: I don't understand why. Like they got to be different. Well, that's like
1: when you go over European,
2: you start seeing like all the, the advertisements and the, the signage and then the jerseys kind of have, you know, I don't know. It's it's just totally different mindset here uh, with our type of
1: advertising. But go ahead, back to the blue bo- goal posts. All I was going to say was the advertisements there, it's like Geico. <laughs> <laughs> just insurance? Yeah, just Geico.
4: I have Geico, so it works.
1: Well, so do I. <laughs> maybe I. Maybe we can call them, get like free tickets to a game or something yeah. forever up in the area. Be like,
4: I got car insurance because i saw your advertisement on the goalpost hook me up
2: that's like really small font though on the goalpost i mean i feel like the utilization of the ice or the the end boards would be a little better but
4: well the crease in front of the goalie is blue so why wouldn't you put geico in white in, in there? white that, that's there you go perfect i mean
2: wouldn't that distract the goalie though
4: geico I'll, hook me up i'll give you a call and we'll, we'll settle this we'll, this we'll get
2: episode this is not sponsored by geico
1: but if geico is listening they would love to sponsor the show you can definitely give me a call so let's get into some Preds talk now. I mean, we've talked a little bit about the ECHL and some of the minor league stuff. So like we said at the beginning of the show, it's been a long summer. Two years ago on May 31st, 2017, we had our first Stanley Cup Finals game. People are freaking out. Preds enter basically as the very last seed in the Stanley Cup tournament. And we're like, oh my gosh, we have made it. We're going against the Penguins and we could literally possibly get the cup. And then here we are two years later. And we've seen the Preds get bounced in the second round by the Winnipeg Jets. And this year we get a first round exit from the Dallas Stars. And, man, how we have fallen. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot
2: of questions moving forward. And um, there's a lot of hot takes out there. I'm just going to put it like that. There There's um, several sides and several camps as to who needs to go, what needs to happen, who needs to get shopped, who's trade bait. And that is exactly what we're going to do right now is just talk about juicy speculation. Uh, I mean, it's it's complete speculation because we have no idea what, this what could go anywhere. Where David Poyle is thinking, <laughs> honestly. Who, who knows? The Wizard is up there in his booth somewhere calculating on some spreadsheets. And uh, I mean, the
4: P.K. Subban for Shea Weber trade came out of nowhere. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there was a trade like that this year. not saying P.K. Subban is going to get traded, but out of the four defensemen that are rumored to be on the block, he's probably the... Most likely to get traded because he has the highest cap, hit and he, he'll bring you more back in a trade than Ryan Ellis or Matias Eckholm. Roman is not going anywhere.
1: See, I would not trade PK Sue, and instead, i get rid of Eckholm. He just seems to just not have a very good postseason. He didn't have a really good second half of the season. He was a mess in that Dallas series. Oh, oh yeah, he was super. That's the worst agitated. I've ever
4: seen him play in his entire career.
2: I think he was just frustrated. I, I, I. It was very uncharacteristic of him. like Because the whole regular season, I don't know if you noticed this, he seemed pretty solid. Yeah. But then he got into the playoffs and it was like mentally they got underneath the skin and and he just lost it. Uh, I I don't know. I don't know what's up with that because he's normally calm, cool, and collective for the rest of the year. But um, that was kind of shocking. So, I mean, like, honestly, we have four quality defensemen here that all have, you know, decent contracts. You know, Roman Yossi, you said... He's probably resigning. Whatever, he's a captain. He'll he'll get we'll, a nine we'll,
4: or ten million dollar yeah. A we'll year just contract. we'll cut him off. Yeah.
2: But the other three, what do you guys think? Because I mean, personally, PK, that contract goes through $21-22 uh, at nine million per.
4: So my, my thoughts on this is, and you hear all the radio people talk about it is get rid of Ryan Ellis. He's gonna have the the most. Well, he's gonna have behind Matias Ekholm. He's gonna have the best cap friendly contract. And you could probably get more for Ryan Ellis than you could for Matias Seckham, which I agree with. But he took a hometown discount to resign. He said in his press conference that he took less money to help David Poyle out to rebuild and restock the team because he believes in this team and their cup window. If you trade someone like that and the first year their contract extension kicks in and you send him out somewhere else – that looks really bad on David Poyle, and that's going to affect all future contract negotiations because if, if that happens, good luck getting anyone to sign a, a team-friendly discount in the future. And if they do, good luck having them not giving them a no-trade clause. That's, that's the thing that everyone says, you know, trade Ryan Ellis, which if he didn't have that contract kicking in this year, I would agree. But David Poyle is not going to do that because he's, it's not, going to ruin, he's not going to ruin his reputation trading someone like that. It's going to be Ekholm or Subban. Subban will give you more, but Ekholm is a cheaper option. So, I mean, he, he'll get a decent return for Ekholm, too, but not as much as you would if you trade P.K. Subban.
2: So if you were to trade P.K., what are some possible suitors? Because in my mind, I feel like it has to be like a, a Canadian team.
0: Yeah,
4: it's. Uh, I mean, if that, you trade just... P.K. Subban, he, you're not going to send him, you know, to, I don't know, Boston or wherever. It, he, it's going to be Toronto or he's not going back to Montreal. It could be Edmonton. If you trade a player of that caliber, P.K. Subban is an elite defenseman, Whether, regardless of what your opinion is of him or not. He is a, a top-10 defenseman, arguably top-5. He's 29, about to be 30. He's in the middle of his prime. If you trade him, it's got to be to a Canadian team, and you have to get, pat, get back at impact forward. So, Toronto with Mitch Marner or, or William Nylander. Dry Dreisaitl with Edmonton. If, if if you trade for Drysaitl, you're probably going to have to give up a draft pick and/or prospect with PK Subban just because is a 50 goal scorer and he's like 22, 23. But it's gonna it's gonna be something like that. It's if it's if it's for Marner, maybe one for one makes sense. But I feel like Toronto is going to want something more back. So maybe PK Subban and a second or third rounder. Um, with Drysaitl, you're looking at PK Subban, maybe a second, third rounder and a and a prospect. Um, which would probably end up being a defenseman like Frederick Allard or Alex Carrier. Um, but other than that, I mean, Ekholm can go anywhere, so that'll it'll give you a little bit more flexibility in a trade. But P.K. Subban is going to bring you back a dry cycle who's a 50-goal scorer, or Marner, who's a 60-, who's 70-point a guy. It's Ekholm can, can get you an impact forward, but you're looking at more like a Jason Zucker maybe or someone like that, someone who's, who's a 25-goal scorer, and the Preds don't need that. They need a legit 40-goal sniper.
1: I can tell you why I wouldn't wouldn't want Mitch Marner for one reason. His dad. <laughs> I don't understand how Kyle Dubois handles that man because Mitch Marner's out here just trying to play hockey, and he's got his dad constantly just pressuring everybody, calling people, just messing with him the entire time.
4: Hey, if you're putting up 40 goals and winning cups, I would put up with it.
2: Yeah, it's like Lonzo Ball. It's the equivalent, it's the equivalent of his father. Well, and, Mitch
4: Marner's actually good, though. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes.
2: No, I I wasn't comparing the, the play. I was just playing the dad aspect. But I mean I could totally see that that uh the Oilers jumping on that for PK because what's their problem right now? They they have no defense, like at all. And they you had,
4: have to keep Connor McDavid happy because ultimately if Connor McDavid gets upset and wants to leave and he makes up his mind, there's not really much you can do to convince him to stay. See John Tavares.
2: Yeah, that that'll be interesting to see which teams could potentially fit the suitor role for PK or rather a uh, Matias Aikon. But I I mean, to transition really quickly into the thought of sending one of our top four away, how do we feel about some of the younger ones or potentially Dante Fabro stepping up into more of a top four defensive role? Granted, we didn't see him a lot this year, but the small sample size that we have seen looked really good. I mean, I I was genuinely impressed with him. He actually was calm and cool under pressure. Like, there were several times in the Dallas series, um, they were trying to get some quick changes, line changes, and he was the only one on the ice. And he was just calmly just handling everything. So I was very impressed with him.
4: I I don't know what you... What I loved about him, too, was when he made a mistake, he recognized that he made it, and being young, he didn't let it beat him. He... I mean, if you look at the – was it against the Blackhawks? He made a mistake that led to their first goal. He said he felt responsible, wanted to make it up to his team, went out, scored the first goal that ultimately led to that three- or four-goal rally and got them back and won that game. So it's – I feel like having Dante Fabro there makes that that blow lesser if you do trade a defenseman, whereas David Poyle in the past has been adamant, I'm not trading anyone for my defense, I'm not trading anyone for my defense. This year he hasn't taken that stance because he has a Dante Fabro that can slot in there, and he showed – I mean – Fabro played with Dan Hamus for the entire time he played this year. Imagine him playing with a Roman Yossi or a Matthias Ekholm or Ryan Ellis, someone who's better than Dan Hamus. So I think that makes the transition easier. But still, I mean, it, it's gonna regardless of who you get back, you're going to lose an elite defenseman if you do make that trade.
1: See, I'm fine with Dante Fabro. I thought he did really well this season for the, like Daniel said, the small sample size. And I like, you know, even if, say, for example, Paul doesn't trade none of the D and he stays on the third pair. Well, that means we're going to see either – uh, Yannick Weber or Matt Irwin go, and yes. I am okay yeah. with that. And I was asking, I was asking one? them earlier, but which one do you want oh, to see go? Oh, it's got to
4: be Irwin. He was so terrible this year. And Thank this you. came from, Thank this you. is coming from Yannick Weber's biggest hater two years ago. This past year, he has shown me that he can be a solid third pairing defenseman. And Matt Matt Irwin was just all kinds of awful. I mean, when we had Andrew Berkshire on, on our podcast on the Road to Nashville podcast, I was asking him about how do you feel about Dante Fabro stepping in in the playoffs. And he kind of laughed, and he was like, well, when the alternative is Matt Irwin, he's like, I think it looks like a pretty good move. And he was serious, and I was serious. So that just that kind of tells you everything you need to know about Matt Irwin.
2: Yeah, I, I have the same sentiment towards that. I, I even said that I would rather keep Weber. He actually looked fairly solid this year. Yeah,
4: Weber improved a lot
2: um, this year. He, he made some leaps and bounds that I was kind of shocked over, actually. Uh, it'll really depend on how much you could re-sign him for. I mean, obviously it'll be fairly low. But um, no, I'm I'm perfectly okay with signing him and then shipping off uh, Irwin to whatever planet he wants to go to. They'll probably end up in Minnesota. Yeah,
1: yeah, probably. because yeah, is Paul two. Fenton up there? Yeah. Yes, Pro- Paul
4: Fenton is building the Predators 2.0 up there. 0. Yeah.
1: So do you think that maybe we're you know from the small sample size you we've know, seen do you think we're riding his train too much? Do you think coming in next season we will see him play at the same level?
4: I okay. We were we were talking about this before we got started. I think it, the same with Ellie Tolman. The hype train for Dante Fabro, I think, is is getting a little too full steam ahead. Kind of need to pull back the reins. If you look at, and this is kind of my, my reasoning for this, if you look at Seth Jones, Ryan Suter, Roman Yossi, Matias Ekholm. Outside of Shea Weber, they're the best defensemen to come out of this out of this Nashville system of going to Milwaukee, learning the ropes, coming coming up. Dante Fabro obviously skipped Milwaukee, went straight from Boston to Nashville. Seth Jones, in his first year as a starter, had the best out of all out of all four of them: twenty-five points and six goals. Ryan Suter, one goal, sixteen points. Roman Yossi, five goals, sixteen points. Matthias Ekholm, one goal and nine points. The first year as a starter is usually a transition year because you, there's a, there's a learning curve. You're kind of easing into it. He, he there's no argument. He was fantastic in, in the ten ish games that he played, but. Traditionally, if you look at the defensemen, it takes them a while, a couple years into the system before they become the players they are. I mean, you look at Seth Jones; it took him six years before he, or no, four, five years before he got to forty points. You look at Ryan Suter; it took him four years. You look at Roman Yossi; it took him three years. Ekblom; it took him six years. So it's going to take it's going to take a couple years before they get to the point of, I guess, the gold standard of what the fans hold Nashville Predators defensemen to. But that being said. Dante Fabro obviously has the skill set to get there. And I think what you're seeing now is he's he's more mature than a normal rookie. because, And that comes from the experience he gained from chasing national championships two, three years at BU where he was there. He was on national championship contending teams, and he was facing just as good a competition. He was facing the best of the best when you get into the Hockey East Tournament and you get into the, to the Frozen Four and you get into the NCAA Tournament. So I feel like that was better for his development as opposed to Going to Milwaukee or maybe going to the KHL or whatever other minor league system.
2: Ironically enough, he he kind of reminds me of a young Yosi. I mean, kind of his skating pattern. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. it's it's very fluid.
4: You can tell he's an offensive minded defenseman, but he doesn't he doesn't do too much.
2: No, no, he. I mean, he's still staying at home doing what he needs to defensively. Taking it. I know Matt's laughing because he always wants those stay at home defensemen, but that's kind of like. A thing of the past now, especially for the Predators, because you know we have to have that. That's just Peter lobby system. Yeah.
4: everyone's up on the rush. Engaged, except defense. Wayne
1: Simmons.
2: <laughs> Wayne yeah, Wayne. let's let's not even go into like some of the other cap issues that we're looking at too, because I mean, look at all these unrestricted free agents here. I mean, you've got how covered- many of these are coming back? I can tell you right now.
4: Zach Ronaldo, no. Gone. Wayne Simmons, no. Brian Boyle, yes. Cody McLeod, no.
2: See, that was all. That was my list too. And I you feel know, like you,
4: given what Brian Boyle did, you have to bring him back. He's going to cost you a million and a half, maybe two million. But his presence down the stretch, he was at times he was probably the Predators' second or third best player on the ice some nights.
2: Yeah, he he just looked great. I mean he. I'm just going to say this as a joke, but he honestly did make our power play look a little better when it, it could it, score. And when I mean marginal, it's marginal because he's not the one really shooting the puck from, you know, the blue line, but that's just besides the point. It was nice to see a large net front presence. We've been missing that for a while. There were several. Honestly,
4: co- that's been missing since Patrick Hornquist got traded.
2: Yeah, it, it's been a long time. I mean, and it, it's interesting to note because Fisher retired too. He was another bigger physical, you know, down front net presence guy. So it has been really weird seeing the transition of this team to where we've gotten less and less physical over the last several years, but yet we needed it. And uh, I think Brian Boyle fills that role perfectly. And as you said, potential $1.125 million signing, uh, he was putting up great numbers too for just having been here for such a short amount of time and having to learn our system. So you got to think next year he'll be able to come back. He knows the system. I, I'm just saying he could have a really good year for a very marginal price.
3: Yeah, he's just one man, and one man can only do so much. But I think it's definitely a step in the right direction where this franchise wants to go, especially on the power play. And, and finding that identity in, in the, the offense and the net front presence, he's the way to go for sure.
1: We know you're talking about, uh, you, Michael, you mentioned the system earlier. So we know that – Coming into the offseason, David Poyle already said he's keeping the entire coaching staff. Big mistake. Which I know we were all talking about. We wanted Kevin McCarthy to be gone. You know, he ran the power play. It sucked. He, had he ran to the, the
4: power play into the ground, is what he did.
1: That is true. He did run it into the ground.
4: But honestly, he's not the worst coach on the staff. Dan Muse, how does that guy have a job? And he's a great guy. He's really he's nice. He's got a great,
2: bald, polished head, man.
4: But oh my God. They switched. Okay, so. In the beginning of the season, McCarthy was running the power play and Muse was running the defense. Things were so bad, they switched roles, and things somehow got worse. So then they tried switching it back, and it was still bad. Like, Then you start bringing in power play consultants from the outside. If, if your power play is that bad, you're looking for outside help, that tells you that it's a coach problem. So how – I mean, far be it for me to question David Poyle, but how can you sit there and and – Blast the season you guys just had and say it's unacceptable. You can't it can't happen again. But you look the fans in the eye, dead seriously, look them in the eye and say, "But I'm bringing back all three coaches." I can understand keeping Laviolette, but the other two have to go,
1: man. Do you think that coming into the season they're going to be on a very short leash?
4: No, because because McCarthy is Laviolette's right hand man. So unless unless Peter Laviolette uh, goes, McCarthy's not going.
2: See, and we debated this. I think last episode I said. Lavi is going to have he's going to have a moment where he has to make a decision where it's either McCarthy goes or he's going to Lavi because that
4: will be on a short leash this year I think but I think this will it's kind of like a contract year for love it's a prove it year he he's going to have to prove that he can get to that Stanley Cup if not I mean it, it's kind of like with Barry Trotz he wasn't doing anything wrong necessarily it was just time for a change I feel like Peter Lavi is in that year where if he doesn't get to the cup final at least get to the cup final he might be gone next year
1: well, if he does leave, who do you think of the coaches that are open that could take a spot? I mean, because I was all for Q. I was all for having Coach Q. <laughs> oh my! Come God, in here. here, fans
4: would, would have, have they would have been split. There is half that would yeah. have loved it and half that would have rioted because he just picketed. just from the Blackhawks,
2: they would have picketed outside of Bridgestone. You know, there would have been a line out there. They'd have been setting fire to garbage. I mean, I don't know. But at the same time, you can't argue with Coach Q's track record.
1: Oh no, I mean. That's why I'm kind of excited to see the Panthers next season. Oh, no one's excited to see the Panthers. Not even their own fans in Florida. Dude,
4: the owner's not excited to see the Panthers.
1: <laughs> I know, but like, no one's excited to see them. But what if Q turns that season around this coming season and turns that team around? Panarin
2: reunited in Florida. He wants to go to Sunset, Florida, and he might have Bob from the uh, Blue Jackets as well. <laughs> Like, Michael's like, he's not biting. He's like, uh...
4: It's a, you never say never in sports, but, I mean, I think I think Panarin will go there, because Panarin, for whatever reason, has said he wants to be near a body of water and he wants to be near someplace nice and warm. <laughs> what sense that makes, I don't know.
1: Well, it's either L.A., San Jose, or Florida.
4: Yeah, Florida makes the most sense out of all... I mean, San Jose would be the best team because they're a playoff team, but Florida makes the best sense out of all the L.A.'s, they're, they're garbage fire, so...
1: I mean come on. If Carolina can have a resurgence, the Panthers can too. That's all I'm saying.
2: Uh, yeah, it's the storm surge, but they were a bunch of jerks though at the same time. So
3: the difference is Florida has a plan. They've <clears throat> they've implemented Coach Q coming down there. They've got <clears throat> excuse me. They've got some type of a plan in action. And I feel like the Preds are in a weird zone of limbo. We kind of want to see results, we're promising results, but we're not putting a plan in place to achieve that. So I feel like, short leash or not, it's going to be a year or a half year of waiting to see if anything changes on the power play. And then hopefully, I'm a man of action. I want to see some change now. Go ahead and get it out of the way. Cut the bleeding and, and change the coaching staff to get some results that you're promising and looking for.
4: And that's the thing is they, no one knows what the problem is, so they don't know how to fix it where – you say in florida they do have a plan which that which they do and that's a great thing for that franchise that the preds don't have a plan because they don't know they don't know what the problem is that's that's part of the frustration the fan base has is everyone thinks that this team should be able to compete for a cup and if you look at the roster from from a to z uh, they should compete for a cup i mean they have they have last year i feel like was from a talent perspective their most loaded team and they couldn't get out of the first round they almost won a stanley cup somehow though without ryan johansson without um Kevin Fiala, with Mike Fisher missing a game or two. I mean, after after Johansson got injured and Fiala got injured, no one picked them to beat the Ducks. Not only did they beat the Ducks, they beat up on the Ducks, and they they came two games away from winning a cup. Th- that's the frustrating thing is you. it's hard to have a plan when you don't know what the problem is.
2: Yeah, and speaking of pure mysteries, maybe I shouldn't open this can of worms, but let's talk about Kyle Turris. <laughs> And you're laughing already because uh, you're gonna get hate man, mail sent to us. It's the international man of mystery because he, no joke, dries up. Okay, first half of the season, we'll give him the injury, whatever, whatever. Uh, you're, you're shaking your head, but it was a bad injury. We'll give it back. Yeah. Then you got to give him some period of rust. But then after that, there is no excuse. There's no excuse. He did not do anything. And then magically, what happens when he goes over to the worlds?
4: he becomes a point-per-game player for Team Canada.
1: (laughs) And it makes you wonder, was the injury that bad, or was it going back to Coach Loviet's system?
4: I think it's – okay, here's here's my – I'm
1: split. Go ahead.
4: I I think it's a little bit of both, but I think it's more the system than it is the injury. He said – they still haven't told us what exactly the injury was. They just said it was a lower body injury. So you're assuming it was something with the knee or the leg. He said it was bad enough to where he was out of shape when he came back, and that was his – I don't want to say his excuse, but that was his reason for not being good when he came back was he was out of shape. He couldn't use his legs to do cardio. Therefore it took him a while to get into game shape and get up to speed on the ice. Be that as it may, you're a professional athlete. Your literally your entire job is to be physically and athletically gifted. So if you're if you're injured, I mean you gotta figure out a way to do something. If you, unless you're unless you broke both your legs, there's always a way to figure out how to get cardio in there. I mean, I'm not buying that excuse, but Say, say it was bad and he couldn't do cardio and he was out of shape and all that. Okay, that's fine. I just feel like Kyle Turris does not fit in this predator system. And, and part of it is Peter LaViolette, he changes things up. He moves the lineup around a lot. Just, he's always tinkering with, with the way things go. Kyle Turris t- isn't a, a work on the fly kind of guy. He's got to have a routine. He's got to be, I got to know who my line mates are, I got to know who's where. And you saw when he was constantly switching out that, that second line when he was with Smith and Granlin, and then he was with Yarncroke and Smith. He, he was never, he could never find consistency because he wasn't comfortable with constantly changing the lineup. I think Peter Laviolette's system and Kyle Turris are like oil and water. They just don't go together. Now, maybe if they sign Matt Shane and they move Turris down to the third line, and maybe you get him a little bit more comfortable, maybe that can work out. But I just, I just don't see Kyle Turris sticking in Nashville. I think the experiment's over. It was a bad one. You lost Sam Girard for Kyle Turris, which, by the way, when that trade went down, I said they were getting Craig Smith 2.0, and they were giving up a future all-star defenseman for Sam Girard. And everyone on Twitter ripped me. I just want to let you all know I was right. You can you can apologize <laughs> to me now. Thank you. But I mean, to, to lose an all-star defenseman like Sam Girard for Kyle Turris, not only that, but you sign him to a, a six-year, $36 million contract. So not only is he not producing, not only is he taking up a roster spot from someone else who can come and contribute, but he's costing you $6 million a year, and he's, he's doing all that. So he's... I mean, the, the Preds might have to eat a large chunk of his salary to get rid of him, but I think the Kyle Turris experiment needs to end this year, not next year.
2: Yeah, and to kind of piggyback off that, I I will say, I think everyone is looking at these numbers from the World Championship, and they're either saying, "Oh, it's the system," or like they're like, "Oh, finally, he's back in shape, and he's just going to come light it up." Then you know, like they're super optimistic. Hold on, this is larger ice we're talking about.
4: It's an all-star team, too. He's playing on yeah. an all-star team over Yeah, there.
2: It's larger ice, and I feel like that also lends well to Kyle Turris' handling abilities. He has a little bit more time to get his shot off. He, he's got a great shot. I mean, we've seen him, ironically enough, in the shootout. When we first got him, I was like, why is this guy in the shootout? Like, it, it kind of puzzled me. And then I saw him ring a couple off the post, and then you're like, makes sense now. But that extra space that he's getting on the world ice... I I think it's a little deceiving. I think you need to pull it back some. I'm interested to see... Like I said, there's so many question marks for this team. Like, day one, it is going to be interesting to see how we get off and get going because the first 20 games, everyone's going to be looking at the second line and everyone's going to be looking at the power play. No one cares about almost anything else. Those two things have to get fixed. It's it's plain and simple because we're not going to get past the first round again
1: if neither of those two things are done. I think if... The way this track record is going with this team, we go from Stanley Cup final, the second round, the first round. What happens if we don't make the playoffs this year? You just put that out there. Ooh. Woo! I did. Put it out there. Prince fans are going to hate you. It, it,
2: it, if we're even close to not making the playoffs, the coaching staff's gone before the end of the year. Fire sale. Yeah, I but mean, that's it's the only legitimate full,
4: reason. You get rid of the coaching staff, you keep Fabro, Forsberg, Arvidsson, Yossi. Um, Johansson did I say Johansson maybe not Johansson, Yossi and then you sell everyone else and you just you rebuild around those five six guys
1: what about Ellie (laughs) Tolvin I mean he is the some people say he's the savior of the team he's the heir apparent he's
4: the most frustrating prospect I think I've ever seen where you watch him and you're like yes this guy should have been a top five pick and then you watch him and you're like okay this guy's four years away from the NHL
2: so so, what do you think his role is this year, though? I mean, I've heard all the prospect. You know, at the end of the season, they did the press conference and they're like, "Oh, he's making progress." But this he is su- making progress. But, but, but this summer is really yeah. crucial. Like, okay, I mean, so it's, it's going to be interesting. Do you guys
4: remember two years ago when Kevin Fiala, at the end of the season, his post his press conference with Poyle? He said, "I'm coming in and I'm making this team next year." That didn't happen. He got sent to Milwaukee. I honestly think that's what Ellie is gonna do. Ellie Tolvin doesn't have the attitude problems Kevin Fiala had, but they're gonna give him every chance out of camp. They're gonna start with development camp and then rookie camp and then they're gonna get to training camp. They're gonna give him every shot to make this roster out of camp. I'm rooting for the kid. I really hope he does. I think he I just think he needs one more year of playing on North American ice, playing with playing in the predator system because the Milwaukee Admirals run the same exact system. As a Nashville Predators, that's what Peter Laviolette always compliments. It's so easy to pull a prospect up and throw him in there because it's the same system; they don't have to learn anything. I think this year we'll see Te- Ellie Tovin up in, in the in the NHL for a couple games. It's whether he produces in those games is going to determine whether he sticks or not. But ultimately, I think in the long run, everyone's going to hate this. I think he's going to spend more time in the AHL this year than he will in the NHL.
1: And I'm okay with that, to be honest. I think you know if it's what helps him the kid's make that. Too. He's yeah. Everyone nineteen too. I forgets he's nineteen. <laughs> Like, yeah, I, I don't know. He can't
4: know. even legally drink over here for two more years. I mean, come on.
1: What do you think, Matt? You're quiet over here.
3: Yeah, I think that's likely, although I'm I'm super anxious. And, of course, like we mentioned, the hype train was super high on him. I, I want results now. I'm that kind of guy. But it is it is a little unrealistic and it is more likely he will probably be in Milwaukee for, for the most of the year.
2: Well, if you think about it, too, uh, he's so good with extra space. We, we've seen what he can do in the KHL. Well, our power play is terrible, but – you do have extra space on the power play, which lends to the fact, like, oh, do you, you want him to come up so bad and just slot in and just start ringing him like with that nasty wrist shot that you've seen in all the KHL videos? But he just needs a little bit more time.
4: If they could have like a special roster spot just for like a power play special, he play, would be it's, ideal. It's like a designated just put him, him, yeah, just put him in, in the faceoff circle and let him tee off. That's where he's best at. But I mean, if you look at his, you look at his stats. I mean. 15 goals and 35 points in 58 games. That's not a bad stat line. I think the unrealistic expectations he built shattering the KHL rookie scoring record is ultimately what's what's done him in. If this was Gabriel Bork and he put up those numbers, you'd be like, oh, wow, he had a really good season last year. But because it's Ellie Tolvin, you're like, what? He didn't have 45 goals? <laughs> he, it's, he's a product. It's, he's, it's almost like... The hype that he built around how good of a season he had in the KHL is what's ruining his potential pro career because everyone expects him to be a Philip Forsberg or Victor Arvidsson as soon as he gets there. And he's still 19. He's still learning the system. He's still adjusting to life over in North America. I mean, 35 points, 58 games down in the, in the Admirals. I and mean, you also got to look too. He played in the in the World Juniors. He played a little bit up in uh, in Nashville. He played with Milwaukee. He still was bouncing around a lot. He needs a full year of of a system where it's stable and he's not bouncing around, where he can just learn the ropes and have a full se- full season there.
2: And I might have to go back and check this, but I'm pretty sure most of his points, too, came in the second half of the Milwaukee season. It was like he was getting hotter as the season went on and more comfortable. Yeah, that's I, I,
4: exactly what happened. He started to feel more comfortable. I mean, the Admirals were kind of like the Predators, too, where they're moving around their lineup a lot, too. But once he finally found a line and a couple guys that he was comfortable playing with, he really took off. I mean – I think he had like four or five goals for the first 20 or 30 games. Then he finished with 15. That's still pretty good.
2: Yeah, that, that and that just lends to our point. Consistency is key. Just needs a little time. Let's get him in there. Let him keep working. Obviously, he does have a big summer ahead. But, man, if he can somehow get it together and get it clicking, even midway through the se- season where he can get called up and we can start slotting him in, yeah, that is a huge piece to the puzzle that we are missing that could potentially spark the power play. I mean, there's so many good qualities that he has that we needed last year, but obviously he needs the full package before he's you know NHL ready.
4: Nobody wants to hear that he needs time, but that's honestly what he needs. I mean, when I was 19, I was I was having a hard time waking up for algebra 101. I mean, come on, <laughs> this, this kid's expected to come in to be a 30 goal scorer for a Stanley Cup contending team at 19 years old. That's a little unrealistic.
1: Well, I mean, if you go ask Brett's Facebook, they think it's entirely doable. Preds Facebook thinks anything's doable. Okay.
4: If you ask Preds Facebook, P.K. Subban should not be playing in the NHL on any team.
1: So we're talking about how good uh, Ellie Tolvinen's offense was in the KHL and then coming over here and kind of falling off the map. Let's talk about how the fact that the Preds seem to rely on Victor Arvidsson the entire season to score the most of their goals. He comes in, ends the season with 34 goals. Next is Philip Forsberg with 28. Craig Smith has 21. And then afterwards, it just seems to kind of just drop off the map. I mean, outside of Jofa, there was hardly any secondary scoring.
4: What's impressive about Arvidsson too is he had 34 goals in 58 games. If he played a full season, <laughs> yeah. translated over a full 82 game season, that's 48 goals. I mean, he he broke the franchise record for goals in a season in just 58 games. Imagine this Victor Arvidsson from this year over a full season. Forsberg the same thing, 28 goals in only 64 games. I mean, yeah, that, it's obvious the Jofa line is it, this team goes as they go, but. Craig Smith is always going to get you 20 to 25 goals. But, I mean, you need you need more out of Nick Bonino. You need more out of Callie Yarncrook. You need more out of Colton Sissons. I mean, I think I think Mikhail Grandlin is going to be good. He needs a summer to learn how to play with his teammates. He's If you watched him in the playoffs, he was swarming around the front of that. He was he always was. in front of that net. And at times it seemed like he was faster than the puck. I think – give him a summer and you give him a full camp with this team to learn how to play with these players, whether it's Kyle Turris or whether they sign Matt Shane and he's on the second line. Oh. Regardless, whoever whoever's there, I think the second line is going to be fantastic. You just, again, it's no one wants to hear it. you got to give it time. If you're looking at a second line of Granlin, Turris, and Smith and you give them a full summer and training camp to learn how to play together and learn each other's nuances and stuff, I feel like that can be a dynamic second scoring line for this team.
1: I think any good line has to have a good center, and you're talking about Jofa, Ryan Johansson had a great season as well. And yeah. I don't get what people don't like about him. He comes in and does his job, and he does it well.
4: What they don't like is he put up 30-something goals in Columbus, and I think the most he's had in Nashville has been like 15. They want yeah, a 30-goal because... scorer, Ryan Johansson, and that's not his role on this team. He's he's a 60-assist guy, not a 30-goal guy.
2: Yeah, and you got to think he was putting up these numbers with Victor Arvidsson and Forsberg being out at minimum twenty and almost thirty games apiece. Yeah. So they didn't even have the Joe for the entire year and he's still putting up that kind of offensive production. And that
4: shows how valuable he was to the team. Regardless of who was on that first line, he still had a career year, well a career year with the Preds as far I mean fifty assists. And you look at he had who? He had Arvidsson, Forsberg, um he had Sissons up there at times. I mean he he played with probably about six or seven different line mates up there and he still had as good a good of a year as he as he did.
3: I will speak to that point about how his role kind of has changed since Columbus. You mentioned he was a prolific goal scorer there, and I do like that. Since he's come into our system, he's more of the passer, and I like that because we have supposedly this elite uh, sniping talent here. And his ability, his passing ability, can feed into other players' strengths as well. Whereas other players might not be as good as passing, he is such good, in, so good in both areas that let him be a primary uh, pass guy and let these other players uh, dish them, dish them the biscuit for the for the goal.
4: And the crazy thing is, outside of maybe Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson arguably has the second best shot on the team. He just doesn't show it. I mean, the first game he ever played in, Nash- in a National Predators uniform, he had that ridiculous goal yeah. that he scored standing, basically, almost parallel, even with the with the corner, and he shot it up, glove side, above whoever whoever the goalie was, and got it up in in the left corner of the goal. He can get crazy shots off from crazy angles and score. And I think that's part of what frustrates fans too is they know he's got that capability. I mean, you watch him in the shootout how how good of a move he's got oh there. Yeah. He just he needs goal to show it more. It's it's kind of kind of like uh, what was it a couple years ago when James Neal and Mike Ribeiro were on a line together and uh-huh. James Neal scored a game winner in overtime or something and he was interviewed and they were like did, did you know you were going to get in that shot going into the goal there and he was like yeah, Ribeiro had the puck. I knew he wasn't going <laughs> to shoot it. It's kind of like that. That's kind of the kind of the reputation Ryan Johansson has. He's got the second-best shot on the team behind Forsberg. He just needs to use it more, and that's what frustrates everyone.
3: Well, even if they see the talent, like you said, he's he's leading the team in points, but the assists aren't really as sexy. The, the pass is – we appreciate it. It's like the good job pat on the back, but <laughs> it's not as sexy for the fans, and they do miss some of the scoring.
2: Yeah, but that's why you have RV. Exactly. I mean, he was a little engine that could, so it doesn't matter. Like, in my opinion – He's doing what he needs to do to get the job done, and we're still scoring and generating goals in return.
4: And I think something else the fans have a hard time wrapping their head around is whether it's a goal or an assist, if you, if you have a point, that point <laughs> led to a goal, whether yeah. you scored it or someone else did. So, yeah, he, he has 60 assist, 50 assists, but those assists all led to goals. So I'm not saying he, he scored 50 goals, but he was responsible for 50 goals in addition to the 15 goals that he scored himself.
1: And I guess another thing that some fans can't wrap their heads around is that we might be seeing the end of Pekka-Rene, too. You're talking about all those things, and it just made me think about the fact that we, talked about, <laughs> we haven't talked about Renee.
4: Okay, so we're looking at the stats right now. Pekka started 55, UC started 27. I think that number needs to be closer to, to 50 for Pekka, maybe 32 for UC. Yeah. But I don't think it needs to be split up 41 and 41. That UC does need to get more starts in, so he's not sitting there getting rusty. But Pecorine, he's he's one year removed from winning the Vezina Trophy, for crying out loud. This guy has been your horse. You can't – I understand everyone wants to see UC, and he's a young guy, and he's kind of like the backup quarterback. Everyone wants to see him because he's a shiny new toy. Pecorine, if he wanted to, could probably still give you five more good years. It's Does he get the cup first or does his contract expire first? That's ultimately what we're working with with Pecarina.
2: Yeah, and I think if you look at his numbers too, he still had a really good, solid season this year. We we were talking about how it was still very impressive that Pe- Peck is a interesting goalie. In fact, where he doesn't get as hot as like some of the others, where they'll go on streaks where it's just like ungodly numbers, and then someone will end up stringing that along and winning the Vesna. He is just very consistent across the board. He doesn't. It, it's just, and there's something to be said about that. That's what that. I want. Yeah, yeah, about a goaltender who can just be consistent. And he showed that this year he still looked great. I mean, we saw some crazy saves. I mean, talk about that Scorpion one against the Ducks. That's the one I'm going to call it, where he like threw his arm like backwards and it, it didn't even look great. Like he's 36.
4: And he does that almost on, on a weekly basis. He has at least one or two saves like that where you're like, did that really just happen? How can someone that his age do that?
2: Yeah. So I, I don't think he's necessarily Done, but I will say yes. It needs to start slowly, giving you know UC some more um, some more ice time. Granted, UC came in and proved that hey, I am here to stay as well because he looked fantastic. So, I mean, arguably you are looking at the contracts; they're signed through both of them. <laughs> this is not a coincidence twenty twenty one and then they're a restricted free agent and an unrestricted free agent. Obviously, Peck wouldn't go anywhere, so they, they know that that's off the table. But at that point, they can extend and kind of work the contracts out because you kind of saw it. it was like Peck took a reduction, and then his reduction was UC Soros's increase kind of in the in the contract negotiation, and I can see it kind of doing this, like meeting in the middle, and then eventually yeah. it'll – I mean, I could see almost Peck being the backup. If, if he hasn't won a cup yet, yeah. if he hasn't won a cup yet and he wants to just grind it out another
4: two years. That's ultimately what's going to be the deciding factor. That's
2: what I honestly think he will continue to play another one to two years, be a backup, play 30 games still.
4: If they come out and win the cup this year, I see him retiring. This team is, is UCs and they'll pull up another goalie or whoever, they'll sign someone. but yeah. I mean, if you look at it, it's... Looking at his numbers, his goals against average this year was is, is exactly the same as it was in sixteen seventeen, And if you look at it historically, this is statistically his, his fourth best season as a starter when you look <laughs> at goals against average and save percentage compared to everything else. I mean, he had that crazy year in 2010-2011 where he had a 2.12 goals against average and a 9.30 save percentage. Statistically, that was his best season. But you look at it, I mean... 24 242 231 242 248 218 277. I mean he's he's almost getting better the older he gets. And I feel like you can contribute a lot of that the last couple of years to having a capable backup with UC Saros and Carter Hutton before that. But I mean look at Tim Thomas. He played up into what? He was like 42. He won he won a Stanley Cup in his late 30s or almost early 40s. I feel like Pecorina can do that. It's just do they win a cup, and if they don't, how, how much longer does he want to play? Does he want to go another four years, potentially, if he thinks they can win a cup, or does he want to retire because he doesn't think they're ever going to get it?
3: I think the what gives me comfort in the situation is you do have to have some realistic expectations about his age and his play time will probably decrease but what's nice as you mentioned is the fact that he's so consistent and I think we ran the numbers a couple episodes ago about between him and UC both I think we had like the second best goaltending combo in the league as far as numbers so it gives me comfort that Soros will probably take a more prominent role. And as uh, Rene steps back, he's still going to give you the numbers that are still great. We, we read the stats, you know, 9-2, say, percentage or so. That That's still very good. So that's nothing to be scared about going forward. That's just something that you have to be cognizant of going forward.
4: And with, with Rene, too, at the Predators uh, exit interviews two years ago, um, one of the things he said that really you know resonated with me and kind of stuck out was he said, I know this is UC's team. I know his time is coming. So, and that's kind of like you run into, you know, a guy that's won a Vezina trophy or someone who feels like they're still at the top of his game. You wonder, are they going to be a diva? Are they going to request a trade? You, do you don't have to worry about that with Pekka If, I don't think it'll come to this, but if you get to the point where UC Saros is starting more than, than Pekka, you're not going to have to worry about that being a distraction to a team. He's already conceded. He knows that UC's good. He knows that this is eventually going to be his team when 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 he retires. And you're not going to have that become a distraction. And it's almost great to watch. And it's kind of awesome being in in you know in the media, getting to go into the locker room afterwards and just see their relationship. You can tell they don't view each other as competition. It's it's almost like a father-son relationship. Anytime you walk into the locker room, their lockers are right next to each other. They're always sitting. And no matter what, whether they win or, the, win or they lost, whenever you look at them and they're talking to each other, they're always happy. They're always smiling. They never look like they're in a bad mood. And I, and I ultimately feel like that's what's going to, be great for both of them and I feel like UC Star is going to have just as successful of a career as Pekka once he does get the keys to the to the starting job
1: so being in the media and you said you get to see all these different reactions I'm just curious what is the absolute best thing you've seen in the locker room outside of Renee and Saril's talking to each other
4: the best thing I've ever seen in the locker room was when there was a scrum we were and this story has been told and retold numerous times because it's just that great we were over towards where the whiteboard is. I forgot who we were talking to. And Pekka had a, like a 37 save ridiculous performance. And Kevin Wilson, the PR guy, said, Hey guys, we have P.E.K.K.A over here. There was a mad dash over there. Well Martel shoves everyone out of the way, runs so fast he can't stop in time and ends up punting a trash can across the locker room. <laughs> and it was the funniest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. And it still lives on because Martel does a lot of questionable things, let's be honest. <laughs> and that, that's one of the funniest things I'll ever remember.
2: We're going to tag him in this episode.
4: It was it was, it was was hilarious. I mean, Mar- just spend an evening in the press box with Martel and you'll have stories for the rest of your life. It's He's quite amusing. But outside of that, um, I think there was one time Cutler was standing there and he was interviewing someone, and I forgot who it was. It might have been Alexi Emelin took the tape balls that he wrapped his uh, his wrists and his pads and stuff with wrapped it up in a tape ball and was throwing it at Cutler while he was standing there in the media interview that one that one kind of stuck out to me it was pretty amusing um, there was one time we were so when, when we're doing scrums and we're everyone's surrounding this one person there's a lot of people and the, the TV people get their cameras so they get in front and all the the you know lesser reporters or whatever gather behind them because I mean it's hard to, to fight someone with that has a giant camera on their shoulder and standing there we were waiting for ryan ellis and he was getting undressed and doing all that and then um i dropped my notepad and i bent over to pick it up right as i did that ryan johansson walks behind me and he stops and he looks down at me and he's like whoa you gotta buy me dinner first and it was super <laughs> embarrassing but now i can look back at it and laugh it's that's stuff that a lot of people don't see yeah when when they lose a game they're upset and stuff but when when you're in there and you see moments like that it's it, you it kind of puts into perspective, like, yeah, they're they're players and they're performers, but they're also people. They're they're you see them get ripped a lot, and people say you shouldn't have a job and you should be kicked out of the league and all this stuff, but you get to see the human side of them in there and see that they joke around. Ryan Johansson is probably one of the funniest people I've ever seen in my entire life. He's always unless it's a loss and he's upset. But they're always joking around. They're always having a good time, and it's him and
2: PK just yeah. like two peas in a
4: pod. Exactly. It's it, that's that's the great thing about it is you get to you get to know them on a personal level, and you you develop that relationship where you kind of joke around with them. Where it's not like oh great here comes the media. Like Pecorino loves everyone in the media. He will sit there, answer every question, talk to every reporter, and he. Even if it's a loss, he knows that he's got to do it. And he has that level of respect where he knows if we're there late, you know, he's going he's gonna to give us the content we need. It's, it's, the that's Winni- the stuff the no Winnipeg one sees. The peg loss. Oh.
2: Game seven was possibly. That was terrible one watching. The heart, most heart wrenching. First of all, oh, man. I was there, present in the building when it happened. Seeing and him like, sit in the tunnel by and himself? And see, oh. I had a perfect line of view from where my seats were down the tunnel of a purely dejected Pecorino. And that was possibly one of the saddest moments, and one of the saddest because everyone kind of knew like the game probably is over. At
4: this that point. was the saddest moment of my life was in, going into that <laughs> locker room after that. <laughs> not not just because of that loss, you knew, yeah. But I mean, he knew he was going to have to stand up there and answer questions, and he he took it like a man. He said that was on me. I can't let those goals go in, even though he's never going to put blame. The defense played terribly in front of him that game. But watching someone you you admire and have so much respect for who's a 35-year-old man fight back tears as he's trying to take blame for something that wasn't his fault is just it really humbles you as a person getting to know these players and and watch them peccarena is an excellent role model for kids for for men for for everyone out there it's it's that's what that's what makes this job awesome is getting to getting to know these people and the moments like that suck but the moments like i was describing earlier you, you take the good and the bad it's a, it's an awesome job to have
1: I know one thing I think about story wise is uh, Robbie Stanley's Christmas suit.
4: Oh yeah, that was that was a great one, Robbie. I can't remember who it was, but he walked into the locker room and like it was just dead silence. Everyone's just staring at him, like no one knew what to say. And <laughs> Peter Laviolette is a very even keeled person, and even he was just like, "Is this guy serious?" Like, what? <laughs> but it it was it was a hit. Everyone loved it. Like, and that's that's the great thing about working with Robbie is. It could be a down moment, or you know, it could be a, a a game where no one's really looking forward to going in and talking to these guys after a loss. And Robbie keeps keeps the morale up, and he he's he likes to cut up a lot too. And him and Martell, when they argue back and forth, it's like they're married. It's really funny. Gover and Bradford are the, are the same way. Um, it, it's a it's a really it's a great group of people to work with, being with the national media covering the Predators.
1: I almost for this upcoming season. Well, I said the previous season. I was so close to making a gift that said "Shut up, Martell," and just. Throw it on Twitter. Occasion when he starts saying stuff.
4: Honestly, I was I came really really close to getting shirts printed that said "Shut Up Martell." That'd be awesome. And everyone was like, "I'll wear it." Martell was even like, "I'll wear it." So this <laughs> year, I mean, we 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 might pull that out.
2: It's like uh, the bag bag truckers. You'd have your own like yeah. "Shut Up Martell" clothing line.
4: It's it's honestly it's taking over Nashville, and I w- I would expect it to become global within the next five years. It's yeah. it's a phenomenon that will not die.
1: Well, it's great. I mean. I think the last time I told him to shut up was when he had a picture on Twitter about the giant turkey leg he had at the fair. And he was just talking about how good this turkey leg was. And I think turkey legs are disgusting. So I was just like, shut up, Martell. And he and he just laughed a lot at it.
4: One of my favorite Martell moments, and maybe this is only funny to me because I'm just weird, but last year we were sitting there in, in between the first intermission and we were eating our media meal. The Predators always go all out for us. So it's, it's, it's really great that they do that for us. But we had, it was ribs and mashed potatoes and something else. It was, it, was, it was delicious. And Martel gets done eating. And with this childlike innocence, it's just like, man, we just had ribs for dinner. What an awesome day. <laughs> and that just like made my day. And if you know Martel and you could picture him, hear him saying that, it's hilarious because he's just one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet. And that always sticks out to me because it's just, if you know him, that's a true Martel moment. You know, that's who he is. There was also one time we were. They served us. It was um, deep dish pizza for a Chicago game, and we were walking up the stairs, <laughs> That's and I approved. tripped. Yeah, and I tripped and fell and dropped my pizza. And he was behind me, and he just lets out this laugh and starts making fun of me. He's like, "Ha ah! ha!" And it was slightly embarrassing, but the fact that he was behind me yelling at me kind of diverted all the attention away from me to him. So, <laughs> it's it's never a dull moment in the press box. I'll tell you that.
2: Well, speaking of some last minute attention, uh, we've alluded to it all episode, but. I know this is one last point for Preds fans that has just been possibly the hottest take on Preds Facebook, and that is, is this the year that Matt Duchesne becomes a Nashville Predator? Round three of the courting relationship between David Poyle and Matt Duchesne. He, he, by the way, tweeted very obviously that he was in Nashville the other day to celebrate a birthday party. And he's also a wannabe country singer per his twitter or instagram account so do we do we think this is the actual year and does someone have to move to 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 get him in here because that's honestly the only thing i can think of
4: yes and yes i think they do get him but he's going to command ryan johansson type money yes so if you're looking at paying him nine or ten million a year i mean kyle turris is (laughs) likely the guy to go because that's a six million dollar cap hit but i mean it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world to have a top three center line of you know Johansson, Duchesne, and then Turris if Turris can get back to his form. But, I mean, someone will have to go if you sign him to that. And then if you give him the same money as Johansson or you give him more, then you run into, well, who's who's your first line center? I, I don't think you can snub Ryan Johansson and move him down unless he wants to because he's been so good for you on the top line. But, I mean, he's he's going to cost a lot. But I do think they signed him because he's, he's kind of been – the gem that David Boyle has been after, and he hasn't been able to get, and I think that really, really bugs David Boyle.
2: He's also a goal scoring center too. He uh, he's he he's the opposite of what Johansson has been doing. So I think honestly, a second line slotting would be awesome, kind of like what the Jets have been doing uh, up there with you know, line is usually the second line. Yeah. Um, I mean, at one point he dropped down way low this year when he wasn't producing, but I'm just saying like they could do a similar one-two punch, which is what we were going for for a while but I don't think could ever achieve.
4: I mean, a uh, second line of, of Granlin and Matt Duchesne and Craig Smith would be would, would be lethal. Be yeah, And if that's the case, and say Ellie Tolvin makes this team out of camp, you put Ellie Tolvin on a third line with Kyle Turris, who's more of a playmaking center than he is a goal scorer, I mean, that could be the thing to spark Ellie Tolvinin too. Ellie Tolvin plays better with centers that feed him the puck as opposed to shoot first centers. So, I mean... It could be a perfect storm for it all to work out, but, I mean, it's it's going to cost a lot of money to get him. But, I mean, David Poyle doesn't like to be told no, and I, he really, really wants Matt Duchesne.
2: There's there's just so many question marks this year. But it's, it's kind of nice because, you know, you do have a disappointing, you know, first-round loss this year. So, you know, obviously any progression forward for fans is a good thing. But at the same time, there's just so many question marks, and you know this team has the potential, and the roster's already fairly deep and then we still have enough pieces to move, and we still have some cap space. So you know Poyle's going to do something, and I'm just excited for the, for the entire season to start back up again, even though we're still trying to wrap up the finals.
4: To put it into perspective, when I first moved down here in 2013, before I got into media and all that, I was going to Preds games for $7 a ticket, and now fans are upset that they didn't make it to the Stanley Cup final. I think that's a good problem to have is you, get, you got there, you want a taste of it again. I mean, I mean, you look at a couple of years ago; they were consistently getting to the playoffs, but it was always a first round exit. It was always they couldn't outscore the other team. Now you're mad because you didn't get to the Stanley Cup final. That's that's progress.
2: Matt, how do you Red Wings fans feel? Mm. At, like, <laughs> look, look, don't get no, him started. No, no, but if you think to about stir it, the pot. No, if you think about it though, like the Red Wings were like the bar of excellence for so many years. I mean, we kind of like when we started as a franchise, we modeled our team kind of after you and you guys, like, beat us up, honestly, for the first several years. I mean, what is that like to expecting greatness from a fan's perspective?
3: Well, that is nice because when you get the fan base behind you and and expect the team to do great things, like you said, instead of looking at a first-round exit, you're looking to, are we going to make the finals this year? Is this year going to be the year when we win the Cup? Is this year we land that next uh, player that's going to help us make that big push? And honestly, that's the level of expectation that needs to happen, uh, not only in the Nashville locker room, but the fan base as well. So that's certainly something that Nashville can, can look to do in here in the future as well.
1: So as we get ready to close, Matt, do you have any milestone or events that we need to uh, look forward to going to the rest of the finals?
3: Sure. i got a couple news items I'll mention here uh, around the league. We had already previously discussed how Edmonton has hired a new GM, Ken Holland, and with that they have now announced their new head coach in Dave Tippett. He has a pretty sizable NHL uh, resume with 14 years behind the bench, and most recently uh, he spent eight years in – coyote land so uh that's a new hire for them and they've also just today announced that they have decided to part ways with their assistant coaches so they've definitely got a new plan in place we'll see how far that goes uh with that also ottawa has announced that they have hired dj smith as head coach behind their bench he's not a name i'm particularly familiar with but apparently he was uh, an assist in toronto for the last four years and really the big hockey story we haven't mentioned uh is that Finland team? Finland beats Canada 3-1 in the IIHF World Juniors. So not only are is Team Finland the world champions, they are also the World Junior champions and the probable Conn Smythe winner this year as the playoff MVP. In uh, Tuukka Rask is also a Finnish-born player, so they have a lot going on right now. Team <laughs> Finland. And uh, more than half the country tuned in to watch. I think it was the quarterfinals. I didn't get the stats on the others, but uh, it's, a hockey, it's a hockey culture over there. And they also sent the fighter jets to escort the team plane back home <laughs> to Helsinki. So they're apparently a big deal over there. And I will mention uh, one last hat tip. Milestone to Tuka Rask. He is now the first goalie in history to record at least a nine-zero save percentage in 19 straight playoff games.
2: That's pretty impressive. That is. Also, minor side note that we did not mention the entire show is Cocaine Gate is finally over.
3: Yeah, I decided to leave that one out. But, uh, yeah, it's finally settled. So Kuznetsov, Kuznetsov
2: is off the hook.
1: For now. Yeah, we'll see. Well, guys, this has been the show. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. We will definitely have you back.
4: Thank you for having me. It's been fun since Cutler kind of bailed on our podcast.
1: Oh, we can't be can't be bashing cutler now. I'm just He's, kidding.
4: He he got a really great job with Nashville See, I'm really I'm really happy for him. He he worked his tail off, so I'm really proud that he got that. I will have a new co-host for my podcast. We'll announce it over the summer. Um, we'll definitely have to do another mashup because it was really fun. Oh yeah.
1: So one last thing before we go, uh, everybody remembers that we do have the jersey we're giving away. We're going on the game three. I believe it's tomorrow night. And so we're inching closer and closer to giving that jersey away. If we can get a really huge boost of four thousand followers somehow real quick. <laughs> Then we'll give it away the next day. Michael's logging on to retweet right now. And then also, the last thing we've got is that the $25 NHL item of your choice at the winner of our bracket. Yep.
2: It looks like it's going to be the most improbable bracket ever. I think it's. uh, I'm dropping out of school if this happens. So I actually want to know if he's dropping out of school if this happens (laughs) because it's happening, bro. I
1: mean, it's honestly happening. And I do need to give you the money I owe you for your winning our little mini bracket, 23 of us. Pay up. Pay up, man. It's like taking candy from a baby. Well, maybe next year I'll win or Matt will win. But Daniel's got it this year for sure. But guys, once again, this is Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. You guys have a great week. We'll see you next time. Take it away, Rachel.
0: You've been listening to Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. Powered by the Ingram Agency. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at C Dan Drum, and Matt at Matt Thirty One. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Penalty Box Radio on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at penaltyboxradio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.